Hello. Jingle bells. Oh, hey, Mike. Uh, I see you come in there. It's the holiday special. It's the holiday Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Snoopy's yeah. on a red dog house fighting the red bear and <laughs> special. That's right. Welcome, everybody. Yeah, I just got done eating this huge big baked potato. <laughs> well, I'm jealous. Yeah, it I was just... huge. But she uh, she uh, put olive oil and like salt on the end, and I like to eat the whole potato, like just the skin and everything. Oh yeah, if it's if it's baked properly, then I'll eat the whole thing. Yeah, that's what I did. We had steak and baked potato and uh, corn in the cob. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's one of my favorite meals right there. Well, didn't you have a birthday recently? It's actually next week, but I oh. sort of celebrated yesterday. My wife and I went down to Tallahassee and went to a comic book store that was closing, got to meet uh, Colin, Carlin Trammell, who's at Nerd Lunch, and hung out with another friend of mine. And It was just a really good day. Got some that, comics, and that's, that's always good. nice. That's sad. That a comic store is closing, though. It is, and this one has been around for a long time. Now, it's in a different location, but I went to this shop as a kid in the 80s because it was a combination used bookstore slash comic store. So my parents would go there, and they'd shop for books, and I'd be digging in the comic boxes. Yeah. So this one kind of hurt a little bit. Personally, yeah. Yes. I mean, I yeah, hate to see any of them close, but one that I've been going to off and on for that many years, it's its kind of sad. Yeah, same here. Um, the owner of our local comic shop pulled me aside last week and said that hes he was going to close. And it kind of surprised me. And he kind of told me, like, how bad things were. <laughs> oh, wow. Like, he says, I'm pretty much living on the poverty level and, you know. But then he calls me later and says, I'm not going to close. But it was already too late because I moved my shit. Oh, no. I moved all my Yeah. I moved my DC books over to DCBS with everything else. Oh, he messed up. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think the retailers are really heroes because they're, as a general rule, especially the small shops, there's just not a lot of money in it. Diamond makes it so hard. Yeah. I, I follow some of these retailers on Twitter, and there's just, you know, well, my shipment's coming in late, or my shipment had the wrong books, or yeah. the shipment was damaged. And, you know, when you're surviving week to week, that's just tough. And that that happened with, uh, something happened with Diamond on DCBS this past week, so I didn't get my box. It's coming next week, so... Yeah, that stuff happens, even to the big the big boys. Yeah. Yeah, I've had a few things where I was ordering through DCBS or my comic shop, and they would say, you know, I'm sorry we couldn't get you a copy because our order got messed up, and we only got 20 copies instead of 200 or whatever. So, sorry, dude, because you were, you know, order number 50. Yeah. Oh, dang. Sorry. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. But... It's weird here because we have more comic shops than we ever had, and I think that's one of the reasons he's hurting, you know? He's always right. been around, but now he's got at least three stores in the proximity, you know, to compete against him. 
Yes. Was he a was he a a real comic shop? You know, focused yeah. just on comics, or was he like we sell gaming and pops, and we also do comics on the side? No, the short the store is like ninety percent comics, and then yeah, he's got cards behind the the register like those are my favorites the wall of cards so you can do that but he's like got like no tsr type games or dungeons and dragons and stuff he's got magic cards because they're cards but right and he's got toys on one wall so he'll have like pops and action figures I but think everybody. I think they have toys. to carry a little bit of everything, but I love it when they focus on the comics. Yeah, he's he specializes in like he's the only store that really has any kind of sufficient <coughs> back issue stock. So well, the store I went to yesterday, he said that one of the other local stores had just bought most of his comics like the day before, and I was like, "Well, Dad, gum it." Yeah. <laughs> Did you did had, you did you score any good stuff or? I got a Vampirella standee, which my wife wasn't real thrilled about. I'm sure, but she she was a, a good soldier and just stood there and smiled. And it's the famous one, right? It's the famous one. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I think it's a reissue from the last few years, but it's the famous pose. I think it was a door poster where like yeah. she's waving her hand out to you and. Oh, I know which one it is. It's very He was uh, like, I'll classic. make you a deal on that. And I was like, oh, really? <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> so where are you going to put it? <laughs> well, I'm working on getting the comic room organized. I'm hoping to either set it like in front of the boxes, like let her yeah. guide the way to the boxes, or either <laughs> set her on top of a stack, yeah. depending on how much clearance I have once I get the stack built up properly because it's a light it's like five feet tall or six yeah feet, it's, right? it's got it's a good tall. size to it yeah yeah that's pretty cool did you get any of comics or i got a few there weren't there were only two boxes left and i was a little nervous because he wouldn't give me just a price on anything he said build a stack and i'll i'll make you a deal which if i've dealt with you a lot dealing you know, you know, saying things like that, I, I'm a little more comfortable. But when everything's always been full price up until today, I but was you, like, I don't, I don't know but, what but a deal you, but, but is. You, but you know what you could do though, with, with when it's that situation, is just um, plan for the best. But you know, put put stuff back if it's too much. Do you know what right. I mean? You just say, I'll put these back in the box. Can you cut me a deal on these two if that's what your price is going to be? I imagine since he's closing, he would have cut an okay deal, because he, he wants did. I, he, he wants to I get rid of deal. the box, the boxes. The only thing I didn't get a, a great deal on was he had two packs of bags and boards for magazines, and I added those to my pile. And he said that he didn't have a real wide margin on those, and you know he could pass those off to the shop if he needed to. Yeah. So I just went on and picked them up because any discount on supplies usually is good enough. Yeah, they're they're low on on supplies. They they don't get like huge amounts unless they order a lot. Right. And it's usually not a lot. So that's cool. You got to go to a com- comic shop. I did. I got to go to a comic shop. I got to go to one of my favorite restaurants and eat a. Mushroom and Swiss Bison Burger. Ah. 
I hit Whataburger on the way home, so I had two special meals. <laughs> was that Bison Burger at Jack in the Box? <laughs> it, I wish. There was not a Jack in the Box anywhere even close to me. This was at uh, Ted's Montana Grill. Ah. And, I know uh, how you love your Jack in the Box. I do. I yeah. do. But the closest one I know of is in like up, way up in South Carolina. And that's that's too far for a day trip. Tallahassee, we can swing. South Carolina is just too far. Yeah. Well, that's good. I'm glad you had a, a good day. Well, I, I did. Oh, did you I, get war did, comics? Did you have a good day? I did. I had a good weekend. Good. We had snow all day today, so it was like... Oh. I just recorded podcasts all day. I would love to have a good snow day. <laughs> It's supposed to be like 76 I'll, degrees tomorrow. I'll trade, so I'm not, I'll trade you. I'll trade you. <laughs> I would take that trade in a heartbeat, and I'd even throw in some duplicate Sergeant Rocks just to sweeten the pot. I hate I hate snow now. I hate driving in it. Well, I wouldn't want to have to do a lot of driving in it, and I would definitely not want to be where you get snowed in for any length of time. But just to have a little white on the ground would just be glorious. Yeah. We get it, mud and green. My plants are all confused. I've got a rose bush blooming. My, <laughs> my, my pear tree is putting out little buds because it thinks, well, winter's over. Yeah. Do you have any of those, um, what are they? They're, they're like G.I. Joe dolls, like the classic, like with the beard, but they're Sergeant Rock ones. Have you seen those? Yes. The... Um, I think you're talking about the the ones that came out probably around 2000 somewhere in there. Yeah, like the 12 they were, inch. They were GI Joe with Sergeant Rock, Black Hawk. I know it had both. Mademoiselle Marie, Enemy Ace, and they had the, some of the characters from Easy Company. Yeah, they had a Mademoiselle Marie. Oh yeah. Oh and my god. They even have god. a. I think they have an, a special outfit for her too, like a a disguise of some sort. Did they have an unknown soldier? I don't remember there being an unknown soldier. Okay. But there's a nice enemy ace, and there's a nice black hawk. Do you have um, any of them? I do. <laughs> you do? Yeah, those, yes, I I actually had a double of one of them, and I ended up trading that with um, G.I. Joe artist Rod Wiggum for a enemy ace drawing. Oh, wow. So, so I have a, a, a special fondness for the dolls, because not only did I... Was I so thrilled to see DC War merchandise, but then it got me this super cool drawing. Mm-hmm. I've seen some on eBay. They're I did, nice. I, I They're had no really idea nice. there was a Mademoiselle Marie. I'd like to go look at look at that and see what they, they were. Who do they have in Easy Company besides Bulldozer and... They have like Wild Man or... I think there was a Wild Man and a Jackie Johnson... And then there was a... They didn't um, have Ice like, Cream Soldier, did they? I don't think so, but it's been little, so long I can't sure say shot. for sure. I think it, I, I, I think there were only three or four of the Easy Company guys, and it was Wild Man, Jackie Johnson, and Sergeant Rock. And I Sergeant think they had Rock Bulldozer, came, too. I know there were like two versions of Sergeant Rock. One of them was like a deluxe set with the figure in the middle and, and two different accessories on each side. And then there was a regular rock that came in kind of a shoebox box with graphic Joe Kubert graphics all over it. Yeah. But they, they are nice. They are real I, nice. I don't have any of those. 
I mean, I, I, I don't have any G.I. Joe proper, like, classic either. I mean, I, I did have a G.I. Joe. I don't know what happened to it. But I did... I had a, I still have a $6 million man, and I have all of the Big Jim's pack. I was a Big Jim guy. I missed Big Jim. I, I only really know him through the comic book ads. Yeah. And the, the ads make me want them so much. <laughs> you got Torpedo Fist. You got the guy with the steel karate arm. I forget what yes. his name is. A whiplash who, who carries a whip and has like a black sailor costume. The torpedo fist, which you you put like you punch, and he like will punch outward. Yeah, they had a lot of crazy uh, characters, and they had the awesome vehicles. Cause I have, I have the the camper shell, which came with like a, a wolf bike that it towed in the back, and then the Corvette that has the lasers pop out of the hood. Like you hit a button, and like these huge laser guns pop out of the hood. That sounds like such an awesome toy. And it, I, it, it was cool because the, the skin was like synthetic skin. Like it felt like skin. And you would, the one thing you could do with the big gym is you could like flex their muscles and their muscles would pop. Like they pop. Oh, they, wow. they like pop up. Yeah, they were, they were cool dolls. Well, I think it. I think Jack Kirby did some of the ads for the toys, and the the characters in the ads they look like, "I'll kill you," you know. Yeah. <laughs> He's like I don't. I mean business. I'm a rough and tumble <laughs> guy, and I'm like that is the most awesome looking toy I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, they're awesome. Do you have a? Do you have Mademoiselle Marie or no? I do. Oh wow! I'm so jealous. <laughs> do the, you have the, Do you have her in the box or out of the box? I never opened mine. Oh, okay. Now, I did. There was, I think, the studio that was designing them. Yeah. Dreams and Visions was the name of it. Uh-huh. And they were selling some loose stuff on eBay for a while, and I bought some of the loose things. Like, I think they had attempted to maybe do a duffel bag or, you know, some something like that that didn't make the final cut. But I bought that from them. But. I never opened the actual figures that I got. I just saved them and stared at them going, I can't believe this actually got made. Yeah, I can't believe they did. Yeah, they have Bulldozer because that was the first one I saw. Matter of fact, I, I see Mademoiselle Marie. I could get her for 50 bucks. Well, that's what I bid her or get 75 But they had those Remco ones too. But they're the not Rem- as nice, but they're really cool. I didn't like the Remco because they were sort of generic, like they really didn't look like Easy Company. Do you know what well, I mean? Well, that's what made me mad is it wasn't Easy Company. You had Sergeant Rock, yeah, but everybody else was like, "This Standard, is a Marine. This is a soldier. Yeah, this is a sharpshooter." And I was like, "That the sharpshooter should be little sure shot. Why is this guy here?" Yeah, I don't, I don't understand why you license something from DC for Sergeant Rock. You have Joe Kubert illustrate the packaging in the ads, and then you go completely generic on the figure. Yeah. It seems like a missed opportunity, but even at the time, I was still thrilled that Sergeant Rock existed. But for the most part, I bought the Sergeant Rock figure, maybe a couple others here and there, but mostly I would focus on G.I. Joe at that time. 
because I was like, well, that's not easy company. So I'd rather have Snake Eyes than generic Marine figure. I was kind of bummed out about them because those Sergeant Rocks came out roughly around the time of the Warlord figures too. But the they war- did. the Warlord figures were a little more like He Man, like they were. Yes. They were built. They had the muscles. I wish they would have made some of the women because they were so sexy, man. Yes, they were, especially the, when Mike Grill was. Oh drawing my it. god, yeah. They had the one one girl that would turn into a cat, and um, the one Russian uh, girl with the painting on her face. And Mike Mich- Grill has a, Mich- has a very good talent for beautiful women. Oh yeah, yeah, he does. I still love it. Yeah. You did yeah, Maggie it's... the Cat. Did you get your Maggie the Cat? I didn't back that one. I was... Oh, wow. I don't remember why I didn't back that one. I think it was because the print reward cost was so high. And I was hoping maybe I could... Because a lot of these lately, you back it, and then it's in previews a couple of months later for half the price. Yeah, that one I was and... worried about, though. I, and I still haven't seen it in previews. I... I, yeah, I haven't either. So now I'm getting worried that I've just totally missed out. I'm hoping maybe if he somebody sees him at a show can pick me up a copy of it or something because I didn't back it. And I, I was fully expecting – I talked to myself out of it. I said, the money's tight right now. I'll focus on you know a couple of Kickstarters, and this one will probably be in previews because it's Mike yeah. Grell. Surely somebody will put Mike Grell in previews. And so far, months later, nothing's happened. <laughs> like, well, crap. <laughs> yeah, this uh, Mademoiselle box is weird. It's like, uh, it's not like a box box. It's got like a curve in the middle. For and the I Mademoiselle Marie G.I. Joe? Yeah, I can't tell if the box is damaged or if that's just the design. It looks like the design of the box. And it, it's kind of, bu- I'm kind of bummed that I can't see the beret in the picture, and uh, like the scarf is there, and then it looks like she comes with like a pistol instead of an actual gun, like a machine gun. There may be two versions of Marie too. I can't remember for sure, but I'm but I want to say that she's like Rock, and there's a deluxe set with extra accessories and outfits and then there's just a basic box but i'm yeah. not positive that's the one i, I can't find I, I can find plenty of bulldozers and there's even a, a jackie johnson but i i can't see the sergeant sergeant rock i really regret when when maybe a year after they came out after oh, wow. I'd already Madame, bought them at full price. Mademoiselle Marie came out with like a whole set of accessories. Yes. Wow. Do you have the accessories too? It includes I've got an a, like a blonde box. wig and all kinds of stuff. There was a seller on I eBay about a year direct... afterwards that was selling cases of them. And I was like, I don't need a case of them. I talked myself out of it. And I, that's one of those things that I've regretted ever since because it was like, a third of the price that I, they should have been per figure, and I didn't do it, and I've regretted it ever since. Yeah. He had he had a case of Mademoiselle Marie and a case of Blackhawk, and I was like, "Dead gummit, who a needs bla- a case?" There, there, there was a Blackhawk. Yeah. Oh my god. 
Oh, dude, you got to find this stuff. It's awesome. I'm telling oh, you, this, 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 these are this some of the best toys ever. This this Mademoiselle Marie is way better than the other one I saw. Yeah, you're right. There are two of them. This one comes with the machine gun and then the bullets across her uh, chest. Well, see, these were like the perfect toy for me because I'd grown up. I started off with the 12-inch tall G.I. Joe dolls because my mother would go to the thrift stores and being all into military stuff, she would bring me home the G.I. Joes. So I was already playing with those. Then I fell in love with Sergeant Rock, and then they came out with the smaller G.I. Joes. But these Sergeant Rock G.I. Joe dolls are like in scale with the original 12-inch G.I. Joes. So this is like the melding of two of my favorite worlds, Sergeant Rock and G.I. Joe. Yeah. So this is like the perfect toy ever. You know, if, I, if they had come out as when I was a little kid, I would have been in hog heaven. Some of them are so expensive because of they're limited. Like the 130, it's like out of 500. There's only 500. They have a little sure shot. They do. I'm glad that I, I just don't remember. And it's by I, Dreams and Visions. Good stuff, good it's stuff. It's the first time I'm telling... I've ever seen him. Now, when we when we record next time, are you probably going to have the set of these so we can talk about them? <laughs> so I can take them out of the box and play with them while we're recording. That's right. <laughs> They're so expensive. If I if I went for one, I would only get like one. I'd like to have one though. Oh, you know you want them all. Little, little sure shot is exp- is uh, affordable. The sar- I haven't found one. Sergeant Rock. There's Wild Man for 139. I think Wild Man was the one I traded to Rod Wiggum, but I can't remember for sure. I ended up with two of one of the figures. Why did and Why did he like Wild Man? Or it was just the duplicate one he had. It, it just worked out. He said that was the one he had missed, and I was like, "Well, I've actually got two of those." But what did you do? Did you have to go back home to pick it up, or? I, I mailed it to him. He, I oh. talked to him at Heroes Con, and we got to talking. He's act, He was actually born in the town next to me in Albany, Georgia, at the military base. Yeah. And I was like, "Well, that is, <laughs> that's pretty cool that you know one of my favorite artists was born, you know, just up the road from me." And we got to talking about you know growing up in the area, and and well, he didn't grow up here, but. He he knew it. He had been back, and we just got on the subject of Sergeant Rock because I, I think I was asking him about doing a Sergeant Rock sketch or something. And he was like, "Oh, I love that stuff so much. Have you seen the toys?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, I, like, <laughs> I, I bought them all, but I missed I missed this one." And I was like, "Well, I tell you what," <laughs> and he mailed me my sketch, and I mailed him his figure, and it was one of the best trades I've ever made. I felt like because even though I would have loved to hold on to the figure i got you know a, a great enemy a sketch by one of my favorite artists so that yeah. worked out wonderfully you love your art yes i do <coughs> i think i'd have kept the figure <laughs> i just well, I think wouldn't these, have traded that with I just anybody I, 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 did, did you buy these retail though when they came out or i probably bought them through westfield comics would be my guess that was who i was ordering from the most at the time what was the retail on them? Uh, I think the regular single figures, like the, 
I guess the little sure shot and stuff were probably around fifty dollars. Okay. And so then was... the then the bigger sets went up to two hundred and I think I can't even remember the price. There was a Sergeant Rock set that was super limited, signed by Joe Kubert. And I want to say that was that's like maybe the, a five, $500 yeah, set. Yeah, that's, that's the one I see for 800 bucks now. The signed one. I mean, it's really nice. But I used to have, like, really nice. I used to like the accessories because you used to, I mean, the, the doll that was famous for it was like Captain Action, right? Right. But um, do they have any Captain Action dc figures or i mean uh dc war heroes or well now captain action the original doll in the 60s you could get a sergeant fury costume for and i've only ever seen it at at high price toy auctions i've never seen one in the wild but that would for a long time because i i saw the box the original box and uh like an antique store and it was like you can change into the lone ranger and you know this this classic character this classic character sergeant fury and i was like wait sergeant fury and i'd seen a spider-man costume and a couple of other costumes but i'd never seen the sergeant fury until a few years ago i think hake's toy auction had yeah. one and i was like oh my gosh i'd love to have that i am so um, gonna ask this for this in Christmas. The um, the Blackhawk GI Joe. It, it's it's. I, a I'm gonna ask figure. Barb to buy me this. This is amazing. This, this deluxe set comes with like, it comes with that red, those goofy superhero outfits, the red one, <laughs> and then yes. and then it comes with the regular <laughs> pilot one, and then it comes with the Winter Soldier, um. Like like a hood like kind of like Ice Planet Hoth when Han Solo was wearing it. Right. Yeah. I had forgotten about the and it looks superhero like, it looks costumes. Like it, I don't know <laughs> if this is just part of it or not, but it looks like it comes with like a Millennium edition of uh, Military Comics number one. Yes. Yes, it came with a reprint of. Oh my I god! I think it must be his first. This, first this is awesome! You didn't tell me how awesome this was. This is awesome! Holy mackerel! Well, I haven't thought about those things in a while, but they are. Yeah, they are amazing, amazing the sword toys. Of, the sword of the dragon, Blackhawk villain. Is this? Oh wow! I don't know her, Miss Fear. Jeez. This is amazing. It is. It's really good stuff. Do they have a domino? No, I don't. Well, I don't say anything with certainty because I don't remember it as well. But I don't think so. I think this was focused on the classic stuff. I think they had like the original femme fatale. What was her name? Dragon Lady or something like that? Yeah, Miss Fear. Miss Fear. Yeah. The Sword of the Dragon, Miss Fear. I think they were planning some other figures, but it just didn't sell like they had hoped. Because they were putting out... Dreams and Visions was was handling a lot of really cool G.I. Joe stuff, and they must have licensed the DC guys. But they were putting out some really great stuff. Yeah, I think think that I want some of these. (laughs) Well, they're, they're gorgeous stuff. I mean... A lot of these things you buy, and you're like, well, that's not as cool as I thought it was going to be. 
And this yeah. is not one of those things. This is one of those things where it comes in and you just stare at it and go, I can't yeah. believe they made it. This is awesome. I can't this, believe this, they made this, it. This is this is what I want to see in the, the toys that made us. <laughs> when they talk about the G.I. Joe Sergeant Rock figures in the DC. Well, they have and... you and me and a few other people going, <laughs> I remember these. And most people going, what? What? They existed? <laughs> I didn't know Sergeant Rock was a G.I. Joe. Wow. I think I'm going to ask for this for Christmas. If I could get mm-hmm. one of them, the Black Hawk is... The reason I like the Black Hawk, it's a little more affordable. And... The, the design of it is very close. Like, it's it's like spot on, more so than the Sergeant Rock ones, in my opinion. And the fact that it comes with that goofy red suit. <laughs> well, the red suit really was a fantastic feature in that, yeah. in that set. Because those that was, I don't know, I guess they were trying to cash in on the Marvel superheroes revolutionizing things and... Let's try something different with Black Hawk. Yeah. And boy, boy, was that different. It was. Let's give him some superpowers. Of course, it's not as goofy as when they all became like actual superheroes. Do you remember that one? And I yeah. think one of them was like in a clown suit or something. It was just, <laughs> what is this? <laughs> yeah, I think I have most of those. I've been working on like, I think I have everything from the relaunch. Remember they like relaunched? Around 60 cents. Around the time that Camelot 3000 came out. Right. They, they relaunched Blackhawk. And I think like one of the first issues had them all running out of the cover. Like right. with their guns and stuff. And it was like a white white background and had the Blackhawk emblem. And then they had the, like a couple issues later, they had that awesome War Wheel cover, which I still love. Yeah, I think that was the first one that I probably bought new because at first when Blackhawk came back, I was like, Blackhawk's kind of silly. I'm going to yeah. save my money. I'm going to save my money for the GI combat and unknown soldier and Sergeant rock. But then I saw the war wheel and fell in love and read that issue. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is not silly at all. This, yeah. this is a fantastic story. Yeah. That was, that was some really good comics on the relaunch when they relaunched it. They, they, they really told some good stories. Mark Evanier, right? Yes. Yeah. And Dan Spiegel art. Spiegel, yeah. Yeah, as far as Black Hawk goes, I mean, I I can enjoy any era, even the goofy red and green suits. But to me, the best, the the highest quality, this is this is where you should start and see if you like Black Hawk, is the yeah. Dan, Mark Evanier, Dan Spiegel run. I uh I picked up some some good comics that I didn't know existed in the dollar bin. Um, one was a, a a Dell comic with the Green Beret, like Tales of the Green Beret. Oh, Sam Glansman. Uh, the 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 cool thing about that is it was based on like written material, and I found that in the dollar bin. Wait now. Like, I might be confusing myself. Is it the Sam Glansman one, or is it the Joe Kubert one? Uh, this one, I can't... It's 12 Cent, Tales of the Green Beret. I had to go look at... Do some research on it. I don't even think anybody's credited in it. It's one of those issues that... Because there was a Green Beret one uh... that Joe Kubert did that was like reprints of a newspaper strip. And then there was a Green Beret one that Sam Glansman did that was like an original... 
series, and they're both great. They're, you you can't go wrong whichever one you got. Yeah, but I don't, I can't remember the exact titles. But of I got it for a buck, and it was on. it was definitely like fairly good shape, like almost fine, like fine condition, better than VG. It, I would say any twelve cent comic I see in that shape for a buck, I'm gonna snap up. And then I read the fact that it's a war comic makes it even better. Well, it came out in 1967 and 1968, and it said during the mid 60s, at the height of the Vietnam, the Special Forces Division of the Army gained a bit of notoriety. The Vietnam veteran Staff Sergeant Barry Sadler wrote and recorded the ball the Ballad of the Green Beret, which was number one on the pop charts for five weeks in 1966, um, and then they were. T- sort of taking like some of the real stories and then fictionalizing them and this is what the Dell run is nice yeah and there was another there was another uh interesting one that i i've never seen before it i don't know i think it was Dell let me see if i can find it i mean i got your standard fighting marines and like a lot of stuff i already knew about but there was one that was an awesome-looking cover, and uh, it had it was it was almost like very fine condition, which which I was surprised to see. And we have some questions. I got a the Frogman <laughs> from Dell. Oh, nice. Yeah. Trapping a, a sunken sub. Let me see if I can find this. There was I've a couple. Got a, of, I've got a couple of those in my two read boxes, but I've never actually read one. So, you let me know how good it is. So I'll know whether to prioritize reading that one. Yeah, I can't find this one. I'll have to take a picture of it though if I find it, because uh, I've never seen it before. And the cover is like on a white. It's like a white cover, and it looks pretty darn close. Like really good condition. I'll have to take a picture of it and send it to you when okay. I find it. I wanted to ask you about it. Okay. To see if you knew what it was. But, yeah, I've been getting a lot of those books in the dollar bin, and it's cool because he's been – I knew something was up at his store because he never would make dollar bins, and now he's got, like – he must have, like, 18 boxes of dollar comics. And this is the store that was closing, but isn't closing, but now yeah. probably will have to close. I don't know. I, I would think that it's going to be, unless he can turn it around, I think it's one of those short things, like he'll keep it open. But we'll see. I'll be bummed out because it's like really close. It's on my way home from work. I can stop oh, that there after nice. work. Look at the dollar bins. Yeah, I... I enjoy going there. And most of the stuff that I get, nobody wants. I'm the one that buys it. <laughs> I know exactly how that feels. I like Everybody buying I, I like buying the stuff that is non-mainstream. Yeah, yeah, I get I get some mainstream stuff, but I like the obscure stuff that just stands out like a sore thumb. Like what the hell is this? I do too. Have you ever read a book called John Tar? J O N T A R? 
No, but I know a, you told me about it. <clears throat> it. Yeah, it's one of the most oddball, weird, crazy comics, and I just absolutely love it. I mean, it's <laughs> no nobody would go, "Wow, that what a great comic!" <laughs> once they read it, but I it's just from, love uh, it. Ma- it's just nuts. Mature, mature Magic or what? Mature Magic, which is just like one of the worst company names. It makes it sound like it's you know selling porno elf movies or something. I, <laughs> I don't. I don't understand where they got that name, but it well, they was... must have had some success with it in 1986 because there was a, in 1990 there was a John Tar Returns. <laughs> well, I actually became sort of a a pen pal with the writer, and he was super excited. It sold like 2,600 copies, which wasn't a lot, but. It was it was enough for him to keep going. He did, I don't think he expected to sell anything. Yeah. And John Tar was it, it kind of became infamous as one of the worst comics ever published. Was <laughs> one of the that was one of the reviews I read of it as a kid, and I was like, I disagree. I disagree. And, <laughs> I want gotta have this. I love this. <laughs> and, it, lo- it looks like a comic. I'm looking at the cover right now. It looks like a comic that was sort of like printed on eight and a half by 11 and stapled together <laughs> it's it is an odd size it's kind of a golden age width but not quite as tall yeah and everything's like hand lettered and and sometimes like the word has got a dash in it to go around the character's head and <laughs> it's just so goofy and i love it so very much <laughs> i got but, some hot rod like racing drag drag racing comics which i never had before like charlton stuff dragon wheels yeah. i think was one of them yeah there was a whole little segment of those hot rod comics for a little while there yeah i don't know where i put that other cover though it's bothering me cuz i i know what the cover looks like i just can't find it well, so, I know you're uh, more you're more organized than I am, so I know it'll turn <laughs> up. I'm not lately because uh, I have no more bags. I've been buying so many dollar comics that I ran out of my thousand like two months too early. And, oh uh, wow! I placed another one, but they're on back order, so I don't know if I'll get them before Christmas. So. I I think when the new year comes, I'm just going to order like 2,000 of them because <laughs> I don't want to ever run out again because I end up with a bunch of backlog. It one, one The only way I keep at all organized is trying to keep up with bags and boards, and then when stuff comes in, I bag it and I board it, and I put it in order, and I try to put it in its box, and hopefully try to integrate it into the previous box. And when I don't have my bags and boards, all hell breaks loose, and I just fall far, far behind. Yeah, yeah, that's what's happening. I have enough boxes because I do the drawer boxes, and I I have a whole storage unit of empty ones. So I, I just when – I, when I get to, like, six short boxes, I order another 20. So I always have, like, 20 boxes ready to load. <laughs> my storage unit you are living the dream my friend (laughs) but uh i let me see what did i do with the books that i i actually read a couple of uh books this week 
And um, I I went back to Gravedigger. <laughs> Did you finish the set? I I finished getting Men of War, and Men of War historically I had only had like four. And I think one of them was his first appearance, which was number one. Right. Where David Michelini wrote it. And uh, I thought it was cool because it was like sort of like a Captain America, African-American, because he had like polio. And right. he had to become a, a super soldier on his own just by working his way through it, you know, and working out all the time, becoming an optimal uh military guy and then wanted to go into the army and fight for his country and they said nope you're going to be a grave digger like you you just go dig graves and then he lost his his best friend in the entire world and because of a racist lieutenant and sort of went back the weird part is he went back to the uh, pentagon and kind of invaded and then there was like this weird subplot and uh, then they said, oh, man, you, you broke into the Pentagon. You're going to be like our super, super spy. And you're going to go on all these missions, but by yourself. And uh, I was like, that's fascinating. <laughs> I was like, okay, send Gravedigger in. And uh, I'm, I've read one through four, and now I'm reading five and six. And uh, the early issues of Men of War had the enemy ace backups right and then it switched to uh war correspondent uh it's called date dateline Line, frontline front yeah but this uh this story is written by roger mckenzie with dick ayers and romeo thangal uh inks i guess and uh he <laughs> in this story he's jumping out of the a plane on a mission uh, I think it's in France, and he has to take out two Nazis. He he does take them out because they were going to shoot him in his parachute, like he had. They thought he was underneath the parachute, so that they he just got his machine gun and went da 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 shot up that parachute, <laughs> and, and, and then Gravedigger's right back there, and he just like shoots him in the back of the head, dead. You know, he kills him. Yeah, he doesn't mess around. Yeah, and um, he's supposed to go. To uh, Tuborn, um, a French real estate called Tuborn. It's a town, and uh, he's supposed to rescue some people, or it's supposed to be vacated. Like there's supposed to be just Nazis there, and his whole job was to put grenades and dynamite near the snow to cause an avalanche to wipe up the whole city. So he, he sets up the bomb, sets up the timer, and is like, okay, I'm going to kill these guys with an avalanche. I'm going to dump <laughs> an avalanche on them. And then he looks down, and he's like, holy crap. Intelligence didn't tell me all these French people were still there. Under Nazi rule, you know, they were kind of being escorted around. and Right. Yeah, they were prisoners in their own town. And he's like, oh, crap, I need to go in there and try to rescue him. And he tries, but there's there's a priest in there that's like, you know, we can't leave. God will protect us. And uh, he's like, oh, crap, you know, like, what am I going to do? And uh, sure enough, 
he gets all the people to at least go into the church which 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 is sort of good and the they kill the priest so they kill the priest the the nazis shoot the priest gravedigger like takes out a, a ton of nazis in here he jumps through a window and he's like kills kills a bunch of them and then the avalanche comes and all the people are in the church and the only thing that stayed up was the church <laughs> so the the, pre, the priest was right and all the nazis died from the avalanche so it was a cool it was like a cool issue and right digger is one of the most underrated characters to me he's yeah. just fantastic yeah i dig him a lot and it, it's weird though because i read the letters pages and it's some people like love him like or and some people don't like him because they're like why are you forcing racial racism on me because you know how the they had that racist lieutenant and stuff right so they got like offended by it there there's different ways of looking at it and it it's it's very very contemporary with what's going on in our world today uh you know with people complaining about comics and such it 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 always existed it's nothing new and then Frontline's an interesting story because it's it's about a guy from the States that goes to London and just to report on stories. And he's in a pub and he's talking to one guy and the guy's talking to him about a an elephant story, um, which was, was really fascinating. I, f- I forget what they called it. Uh, it was something about... I can't remember what the story was exactly, but it was about an elephant. And he goes into an area where it's like underground, like an underground where they have the tunnels and such, like those cylindrical tunnels. And there's a lot of people like living in there. And he's like, why are you out here? They're not blazing the the horns like there's an air raid or anything and he you know people were just living down there because they're afraid of getting killed <clears throat> and there's a woman there taking care of him and she introduces him to this guy called digger which is weird because we got grave digger and there's this guy called digger <laughs> <laughs> and uh sure enough during that whole time she's talking to him there is a uh the air horns go on and um the 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 tunnel sort of collapses and it collapses on Digger, but but he goes and he he goes and rescues them. But they get out as soon as they get out of the the tunnel, they get shot. You know, a bomb goes off, kills the woman, and also kills Digger. And then he's drinking later on. And he says, "You remember that elephant you were telling me about yesterday?" Well, I grabbed a part of it, all right, and I put my hand right smack dab in the, its rear end, because <laughs> he, he oh ended up he ended up losing people. And it's 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 a pretty cool story though, because it's like a reporter that's sort of like learning like what war really is. Right. Yeah. I don't remember much about Dateline Frontline except that I liked it and I was glad when it reappeared later in Unknown Soldier. It became a backup in Unknown Soldier towards the end of his run. And since we're there, I'm going to talk about the next issue, which is number six. 
Okay. Which is um, Gravedigger is actually going to rescue Art. And there's been a war movie. I can't remember what that movie was that just came out a couple years ago. The where... Monuments Man? Yeah. It didn't have George Clooney or somebody. Yes. Yeah. It, they had to actually go rescue Art. And, and they send Gravedigger on this, this mission to go rescue Art. And he runs across a woman screaming, like, and these Nazis, like, I think they peg her in the back, like they shoot her. And as she's running into the water, she, uh, the current sort of takes her. And then Gravedigger says she's still alive, so he dives in after her. Well, the the Nazis get their uh, machine guns. I, I forget what those machine guns are, like, called. Like, they're, like, Uzi-like, but I forget what they're like. They're, like, blazing the, the water full of machine gun fire. And they said, yeah, I think we got him. We got the Americana or the Jew woman. You know, they're supposed to be dead. I'm sure they're dead. And then all of a sudden you see Gravedigger's hand just coming out of the water with the grenade. <laughs> and the grenade just blows him. Kablam! He killed all those Nazis. And then the woman's like, can't swim. And then she's going over a waterfall. And he tries to save her. But they, they both go over the waterfall. And I think she ended up dying during that going over the waterfall he barely survived and then gravedigger is dragged out of he drags himself out of the water and there's more nazis there and they're gonna shoot him they're not gonna give him a break but uh he recovers in time to to kick the gun out of the guy's hand and uh ends up killing that nazi and then goes and raids the castle that has the art and uh what else happens here there, there's a ton of uh, a Nazis in there, and he kills them. And then they're going to... This is the sad part. This is where crap gets real. Is they're looking for, uh, like, a traitor among the, the people. So they actually take a child, uh, and they put the child's head in a guillotine. And this is, like, a young girl. Like, this is a, this is, like, a six-year-old girl. And they're going to cut her head off. And uh, luckily, uh, Gravedigger just shoots that dude. And then he gets there barely in time and puts his machine gun in there. It gets hit by the, the guillotine. And then these people are like, they, they really don't want to lose their art. So there's people that are trying to protect the art and they get killed. But he ends up saving the girl finally. And he gave her one of the last pieces of art that survived. And she was like, he, he saved a lot of them, but there was a lot of them that got killed by gunfire. And he was trying to get them out because he knew that Allied bombers were coming at a certain time. So he he wanted them to he wanted to escape with the art like he was his mission, and then save as many people as he could. But right. he saved about half of them, and the other half actually died unfortunately. And then on Dateline Frontline, he's dealing with... You remember I told you Digger died and then the woman went after him that was taking care of him? She died? Well, this can, this is like the the Dateline Frontline guy going to talk to her her mom. I mean, sorry, her, yeah, her mom and she had a daughter. So he's going to go break the news to them. And then there's an air raid. 
And uh, there's been a lot of movies, I can't remember, like, a lot of current movies where the bomb hits, like, it, it penetrates the building, but it doesn't go off. Right. Um, there was even, like, people that specialized in going into the buildings and deactivating the bomb, like, if it hit. And uh, it crushed the grandfather, and the little girl there stayed stayed with the grandfather, and then he went to try to get help from a bomb specialist. He brought the bomb specialist down. The bomb specialist ended they another bomb hit. And, and then buried him under the ground. So he had to tell the reporter guy how to defuse the bomb uh, and save everybody, which was pretty cool. The grandfather ended up dying, but it, the girl did survive. Um, so she was just the grandmother, and then the, uh, the, the girl are left because she lost her mother and she lost her grandfather, and this just two issues. War is hell. Yeah, it is. That's a comic, too. That's a Marvel comic, though. With the first appearance of death in the Marvel Universe. Is it really? I think I think number nine, it's a Chris Claremont issue. And they recognize that now as like the first appearance of death as a character. Yeah, and that's in like the Marvel Th- Universe. That's, that's who Thanos loves. <clears throat> at least, at least that's what I saw it on the wall of several dealers and at a uh, at Heroes Con, and that was like the little notes on their first death. I was like, okay, good to know, because that was like. You know, maybe a $5 book just a few years ago. Oh, wow. I did not know that. Well, what was that, cool that... to me mostly was that it's Chris, Chris Claremont, who, you know, is so famous for the X-Men run, and then here he is writing War as Hell. Yeah, he started on that issue, too. Before it was That's... Stan Lee. That's the way you do it. Wasn't it? I think it started with like reprints of the Atlas books. And then they went to reprints of Sergeant Fury. And then they went to, I think that must have been the first issue of New Stories. And that's where Chris Claremont came on. Yeah, I see, uh, I see issue, issue seven and eight. Well, actually, eight has, is definitely. Sergeant Fury and issue seven. I don't know who's in issue six, but issue nine is is where Claremont and uh, Tony Isabella and Roy Thomas wrote. Well, anything Roy Thomas, I'm usually all. I don't for have that this. issue. I have ten. You don't have nine. I'm I don't shocked. have nine. Yeah. I don't I have thought... a I don't have a lot of this. I have I have number two. I have four. I have six. I have ten, twelve, and f- fourteen and fifteen, and then it ended. So there's still quite a bit I I need to get on this. But the the interesting thing about death, if that's the first appearance, is death looks like a male here. And uh, yeah, yeah, when... I thought that was kind of maybe a stretch. Yeah, but uh, because the way I remember it, 
and then I'm, I'm going on my, my foggy memory, but it was kind of like a weird war ripoff where, you know, how the, the skeleton soldier usually would introduce the stories. And I felt like that was their answer to that and not necessarily the death we know from Thanos and Infinity Gauntlet and all that good stuff. Yeah. But but that may just be my memory not filling in all the details because that's been a long time since I was reading that stuff. Yeah, it is at a higher price point for sure in my database. So has it at $68 in here. Wow. Yeah, I've been piecing together War as Hell over the last year. I I didn't have any issues start at the start of uh 2019. And now I have at least 6 or 7 of them. Well, that's good progress. Yeah. And all these war books are getting so much harder to find. Mm-hmm. I don't know how anybody would do it anymore without the internet because the days of me going to flea markets and thrift stores and used bookstores and whatnot, you know, most of those places are gone. Right. So what do you got for us this week? Well, in honor of Joe, I thought we would spend the rest of the night covering Weird Western Tales number 39 through number 70, which would cover the entire Scalp Hunter run. Are you up for that? <laughs> you read the whole thing. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I love you, Joe. I'm not, I decide, I was tempted to do Scalp Hunter in honor of Joe because I do love Scalp Hunter. Yeah. But I decided because I was feeling a little sentimental with my birthday next week and we're getting close to Christmas, I chose two books with the cover date of December 1972. And granted, that's not when they actually went on sale, but we're going to go with it. And one of these books I love. I would consider it an almost perfect comic. And the other one, I'm like, well, it's not bad. It's good. But okay. it's, not on the, it's not on the same level as the first one. So would you like to open up with the, wow, this is, this is a fantastic comic, or would you rather open up with the, well, this is okay. Let's open up with the let's save the best for last. Okay. Well the the this is okay book. This is the first comic that I can remember seeing my birthday on the cover. This is Weird War Tales number 9 from December 1972. And the cover features a frozen army of uh ancient soldiers, one of them on horseback with a, f- a flag waving that says, None shall pass the frozen army of death, with a fleet of panzer tanks coming across onto the ice. And anything with a tank caught my attention anyway as a kid. So I was like, oh, heck yeah, I'm all in on this. So we open. up. I don't know if I'd want to put like the weight of a, a panzer tank well, on ice. It's not... As, as as you read the issue, it's probably not the best decision they made. But uh, <laughs> you know, as as a visual goes, it's very striking to see a tank contrasting its dark treads and dark armor on the white ice. But uh, it opens up with the first story, "The Promise," which is the cover-based feature. It is written by our wonderful creator Robert Kaniger, and this has some early work from Alfredo Alcala. And I'm probably mispronouncing his name, but it's called The Promise, and it features Alexander the Great leading a Russian army against the Teuton Knights. 
And in this story, the Teuton Knights are the ones who are frozen in the ice, and the Russian army is victorious. They live in this harsh environment, and they, they win out. And then we flash forward a few centuries, and here's the Panzer Army for the German army fighting some Russian infantry troops. And they decide to move up river through the almost frozen waters, which for them turns out to be a bad decision. The Panzers stop for the night going, let's, let's see if these guys can survive in this winter after getting soaking wet in the river. And sure enough, they freeze to death. Well, the tanks decide, well, our enemy is frozen. The, fr the lake is frozen over. We're good to go. And the Panzer Division decides to pull out onto the ice, which, as we just discussed, was not their best decision. They immediately start falling through the ice and abandon the tanks, <laughs> only to have the frozen Russian infantrymen come to life and, and strangle all the tank men. Weren't the and, Panzers notorious, though, for, like, isn't one of the reasons that the Russians sort of overcame uh, the Germans was because their tanks couldn't handle the weather? Like, it couldn't handle the cold? That was one of the weak things of a Panzer? I don't know if it was the, the equipment, the tanks themselves, or if it was the troops, because I know the Russians were used to the harsh winter, and the troops were the Germans were not. They were they were like this this is this is insane. I read somewhere uh, though that their tanks weren't designed for the weather as opposed to the Russian tank because the Russian tank you know it was always in that weather. Well, I don't know, but I that would make sense to me because I know you know a lot of cars won't work right in the cold. I can't imagine a tank working yeah. right in that kind of cold. Right. So you're probably right, but I, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I'm not a good enough military historian to know, but the, that, that tale number one ends with our Russian infantrymen victorious, even in death. And this is probably my second favorite story of the issue. There's three stories in this issue, all written by Robert Kandiger. The second story is a civil war tale called Blood Brothers illustrated by Jerry Talok or Talioc. I'm, I'm not, not sure how to pronounce his name either. Sounds but, good to me. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I can butcher a name. I promise you that. But this, this plays on the, uh, the old trope of brother versus brother during the civil war. And it's got some scintillating dialogue. I love it when, uh, the Northern soldier cuts open a Confederate troop and says nothing like red blood to keep a shine on your blade <laughs> and, and they they go into just a bitter battle and the the blue bellies as they call them in this tale get some inside information that the confederate troops are being being led by the blue bellies brother and he says well that's not my brother he's chosen to fight against the union he's dead to me and they go out to charge against the Confederate troops, and they're getting mowed down. So the, the Blue Belly leader says, call in the artillery, shell that fence line, just blow them to hell, and we'll just walk all over them. So they just destroy the, the fence line, and they think this will be a cakewalk now. But as they advance, 
they start getting mowed down again. Something's killing them. The Confederate, the, the Union leader advances to the, what's left of the fence line and sees his brother, pulls his sword to kill him, and says, I'll take you to hell with me first, only to find that his hand's stiff, icy. He's been dead for hours from the shell fire, like the rest of his men. Then who cut us down? And we're left to wonder, how did the Confederate soldiers fire their weapons in death? This, this issue seems to have a theme of fighting on beyond the grave and we how we how, how did they fight from the <laughs> there's so, no all, answer all, all all the union soldiers died all of them everybody's dead on both sides so that's uh, why this is not but the, your com, usual, the confederates were dead first right the confederates I mean, were dead first they got killed by the shell fire but yeah. yet were able to fire their weapons after death and wow. it doesn't have the usual weird war tales twist. Usually there's some twist where, you know, somebody makes a deal with a gypsy to survive this war or to fight on forever and become a hero for like the rest of his family. And there's just no real twist to it. It's just an unexplained how did they fire their weapons after they died and you're left going, uh, okay. <laughs> but, <laughs> But this has a wonderful house ad in here for a, well, I, I guess it's not a house ad, but it's a licensed with the uh, DC character superhero stick-ons. Stick your favorites up against the wall or door, notebook, lunchbooks, or car, and you can get 14 superhero stick-ups for only two twenty-five with 25 cents posted. So I'm going to get my order in tomorrow. <laughs> no, I, I, I had those. There's no expiration date on this yeah. offer, so it's, it should still be valid. Yeah, my 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 bedroom door growing up had all those stickers on them. Did they really? Yeah. Are they were they like fat heads where you could peel them and move them? No, or was no, it... they were stuck, stuck. Okay, that's so, what I wanted to know. Yeah, there there are still some stickers like remnants of stickers on my closet door when I go back home, but my dad replaced the whole door. I used to have this brown door. And it was just covered with superhero stickers. Most of oh, them wow. that I got like through like packages, uh, like I had those old Marvel ones that would say it's clobbering time or they'd have like Valkyrie saying something ridiculous or, you know, they'd have all kinds of different stickers. <laughs> and then I had those uh, superhero ones, the ones that that you're talking about. I never had these, but I would yeah. have loved them because it says some of them are up to 12 inches tall, which. When I was a kid, getting a sticker that big would have been unheard of. I yeah, mean, I most think, of them I, I came think in the, little, little I think the Superman hats. one was really big. The Wonder Woman and the Flash. I remember the Flash being really big. <clears throat> well, they're they're sharp looking. I I think I'm going to check eBay later and see if I see any of these. And what, <laughs> I'm curious what they look like. And it's got a beautiful little house ad coming in December. DC's Christmas gift to you. Say it, Billy Batson. Say the magic word. Shazam! <laughs> and you become the world's mightiest mortal. Watch out, Superman. Here comes the original Captain Marvel. And this is signed by C.C. Beck and dated 1972. And it's promoting DC's revival of, of Captain Marvel. And it's just a, it's a really cool ad. And I wonder how many people in 1972 reading this comic even knew who Captain Marvel was. 
I'm not yeah. sure when he's when he suspended publication. Wasn't it the mid fifties or so? Yeah, I, I, I'm sure there were quite a few. There had to be. Cause it went. I mean, yeah, it's twenty, almost twenty years, but he was so he was so prominent, a uh, uh, a figure. Plus, he had all those serials. Some, well, I mean, some at people one point, had to I think know he, he was existed. out selling Superman. <clears throat> he which was is what, what what made DC so angry. Yeah, but it made it made DC look. That's for sure. Like, why? What is going on here? And they basically convinced, like, they went to court many times. And it wasn't until they took two issues side by side and they said, well, look what Superman's doing in the elevator. And look what Captain Marvel's doing two months later, saving people from the elevator in the exact same pose. And they'd say, look at this cover, how he's lifting a car. And then look at Shazam, and he's doing the exact same thing, and that came out later. So it was like you're sort of stealing our ideas. Not, not that he was really a Superman knockoff. It's just that he was doing the same things. Yeah. There's only so many original poses for a superhero. Yeah. Especially back then. And it took a while for like Fawcett. There was a while where uh, DC was leasing the character and later Fawcett just folded. And that's when they, you know, acquired everything. Well, I wish I'd, I knew more about fandom back then because it, it seems like it would be one of those things where like when I started reading comics, I remember getting the shadow when DC put out the shadow run in the, in the seventies and I got mine used at the flea market, but I brought it home and my dad was like the shadow. I, I, I knew the shadow to when the I was a kid. I used yeah. to listen to him on the radio. Yeah. And so it was like, Oh, so this is a character my dad knew. And that made it a little more appealing to me. And that, at that point, but, uh, I wondered if that was like it was for Captain Marvel, where you're like, hey, Dad, can you, when you go to the grocery store, will you look for Shazam for me? And like, Shazam, that's Captain Marvel. Yeah, that's where he would probably get confused. Captain Marvel said Shazam, but that was Captain Marvel. Right. Well, the third tale in this December 1972, what a wonderful time that was, uh, issue of World War Tales, opens up with a tale called The Last Battle also written by Robert Kandiger, and I don't see an art credit, but it sure looks to me like Alex Nino. But I I can't, if you listening to this and you want an Alex Nino story for sure, I can't promise that's who it is, but that's who it looks like to me. And it opens up with 1978 is in the dim past, recorded on a tri-dimensional microfilm. It's just a computerized entry in a memory bank. So 1978 as long ago into this, but it doesn't tell you when it's actually set. But it's Earth East versus Earth West. And one has launched the Doomsday Bomb, and so the other one retaliates and launches the Holocaust Bomb. And there's just utter destruction. You see just shadowy figures of, of people being torn apart and bodies lying on the ground, and suddenly one man crawls from the wreckage and he doesn't look like the Toxic Avenger or anything, so there must not have been any residual radiation from these bombs. And he starts looking for other survivors, and he's just about ready to give up and toss away his gun when suddenly somebody starts shooting at him, and he realizes there's a survivor from the other side of the Earth, and they're trying to kill me. And so they they end up in a game of cat and mouse, fighting through the wreckage of what what is left of this Earth, 
And finally, when he shoots down this person who's been coming after him, he realizes this is a woman and I'm a man. I'm the last man and you're the last woman. We have a duty, a duty to reproduce and, and recreate this earth. And the woman isn't having any. She's <laughs> she's not interested in that. She's a dedicated soldier and he should not have come too close to her because at this point, Earth is now extinct and the human race is over. Good night. Go home. And it ends with death, the ultimate winner, which now that is the way Weird War Tales. That's what I expect from a Weird War Tales tale, not just how did they shoot? It's so strange. So that, that was your favorite? This was my... Well, this is not a bad issue, but it's not a great issue. No, the, it, you, you had ranked the stories. Oh, this would probably be my le- my least favorite. Which one was your favorite? The Civil War one? The Civil War one. Yeah. Even though, even though there's a giant gaping plot hole, I just like the Civil War stuff. It's a... Uh, a lot of the first war books I got had Fred Ray Civil War backups in them, and they really just were awesome to me. And so I just kind of – every Civil War comic story I read now, I think back to those Fred Ray short stories, and everything gains some luster because of how great those were. I This is not – I, this is my bias showing because I don't think most people reading that would go, well, that's a great story. Uh, that, that is totally my bias towards Civil War war comics. But it's got a cool little half-page house ad at the end saying, see the rats take over, and it appears to be Can- Commandy issue number two on sale on or about October 19th. Cool. So... so um... <clears throat> Yeah, that sounds like a great issue. I don't own much Weird War. They're, they're kind of hard to find, too. They don't show up. They've well, really often. evaporated. When I used to, <clears throat> and I say used to because I don't see war books in the bins much at all anymore, but it used to be if you were going to find a book in the dollar bin, it was more likely Weird War than anything else, at least from my experience, and now it seems to be the hardest to find. So I'm I'm very thankful that I've got a, a complete run of Weird War. I would love to upgrade many of the issues because some of them have, you know, the covers ripped in half. But uh, at least I have a copy I can read. But right. that that book, if I was rating five stars, I would give it a three out of five. It's not bad, but it's not as good as it could be. Right. But the next issue from December 1972 is not Scalp Hunter. But it's Our Army at War featuring Sergeant Rock, number 252. And this is what I would call a Little Fat Spencer, almost perfect comic book. Because it's got almost everything I would want in a comic. It opens with a Joe Kubert cover, with Iron Major down in the water and a net over him. Rock holding a pistol on him. It looks like Iron Major's own pistol. And it says, Cough, you, you beat me. Now, are you man enough to kill me? And you're left looking, wondering, is Rock going to kill the Iron Major? Is this this the end of this rivalry? Because Iron Major is really the only villain that Rock fought more than once. It was usually generic soldiers, and Iron Major was this cool arch villain. 
and the opening page is a it opens with a scene that the cover is based on it's a flashback to the last meeting of rock and the iron major where rock is tempted to kill the major and finish this and he goes rock has a great line and says you'll suffer through this war just like i have to and he turns his back on the iron major and he leaves the iron major is just laying there and he looks all lost and defeated and he decides the hell with this and he throws the netting off and he gets out of the water and he says i will be back and it opens with a two-page spread of just brilliant russ heath artwork where easy is in action clearing out this town of german troops there's explosions in the background bodies falling from the roof people with the 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 trademarked russ heath expression of surprise as they get gunned down and after all this fighting bulldozer comes to tell rock they've cleared the town that's it we're done we've got it we've reclaimed this town from the enemy we're in allied hands now and the major has to return to his superior officer to tell him that he's lost this town that they had taken from the allied forces and now it's back in the allied forces hands and his superior is like what's what is wrong with you is your hand the problem that you don't have your hand he's like no i don't consider that a handicap he's like well i'm gonna attach a supervisor to you and he's gonna keep an eye on you and make sure you're doing things the right way and they move back out their mission is to go blow up a bridge leading to germany the allies are obviously closing in and the allies want to protect the bridge so they can move their tanks in and the germans are going to blow it and try to stop them so it's easy company versus the nazis to, to either destroy or save this bridge and it goes to nighttime in the snow which is about as beautiful as russ heath artwork gets there's detail on the soldiers in the front and lots of shadowy figures in the background and almost a completely silent page except for explosions when iron major leads the troops up and opens fire on the troops down below with wham blam whoop as the artillery just explodes and the bodies are tossed all around and then they advance and the it just looks grisly the troops are getting wiped out and the iron major says they are kaput only a few wounded left cease fire and the supervisor says one moment her major we must reach the bridge before the americanos get there we have no time for prisoners <laughs> so the iron major has a, a crisis of, of conscience here but he decides to do it the nazi way and orders his troops to finish off the survivors and they advance towards the bridge and this sets up the the inevitable meeting as as easy company's been fighting from one side and iron major fighting from the other they will meet at the bridge and rock tells easy company when he says no survivors that's the game the enemy's playing remember that when we hit the bridge easy remember so you get to the bridge now this is the only part of the issue that bothers me is why since the nazis get there first why didn't they just go on and blow up the bridge they they instead set up a trap knowing easy company's coming and decided to try to kill all of easy company when they should have just blown up the bridge if that was really their mission but it sets up a beautiful sequence of action where rock and his troops are 
or doing the uh, prep and landing serpentine, serpentine, and run through there to to take the bridge. And there's there's a page that Heath has illustrated, and instead of the standard top to bottom, left to right, you have to turn your your book sideways. And there's even a caption on the side saying, "Please turn page," which just just cracks me up that they're like. Our readers are so dumb, they won't figure out how to read this comic book sideways for this page. We've got to tell them. <laughs> you got to tell I don't, them. I don't think Stan Lee would have done that. I think that's that's DC going, these are all dumb little kids reading these comics. They won't know to, <laughs> they won't know to turn this page. But there's more just beautiful action, uh, a silent page, completely silent page except for sound effects of Sergeant Rock and Russ Heath squaring off where... The Iron, or excuse me, Sergeant Rock and the Iron Major squaring off, and Russ Heath has illustrated it where the Iron Hand is chops Rock right in the helmet, takes his helmet off, and he's sideways and he's about to deliver the killing blow with his Iron Hand, and Rock cold cocks him with that ammo belt he's always carrying over his shoulder, slaps the mess out of him and knocks the Major back, and he falls through a hole in the bridge. Now. Rock presumes that he's dead. He looks down and sees him. He's laying funny and tells Bulldozer, that's it. He's down there. It's over. We've we've saved the bridge. The enemy's dead. But I think we all know that in comic books, dead ain't really dead. But it ends on page 14. You get a 14-page Russ Heath tour de force with Make War No More, which is just such a beautiful slogan from D.C. in the 70s at the time of the vietnam war you get a two-page tabletop diorama and i wonder how many kids actually cut this out to build this thing because it really would have made a cool thing to stand up what is it what what is it form though it forms the lusitania sinking and it tells the story of the lusitania being sunk by the germans forcing the united states into world war one oh wow that's cool it's really cool. It looks looks like it's illustrated by Sam Glansman. I don't see any art credit on it. But it shows the ship on its side and the German gunners with a smoking gun from the, the U-boat. And well, you the, would uh, cut you would cut this out and, and build it so that it looks like the ship just got shot and is going down now. Well, Sam Glansman does have credit on that uh, book. He does. Yeah. So that's it. It it looks just like him, but unless I see that SJG or something in the corner, I always say, "Well, it looks like him, but I'm not sure." Because it has uh, Russ Heath, Adrian Gonzalez, and uh, Sam Glasman credited okay. on there. Well, that brings us to the backup Bob Kaniger's Gallery of War, a recurring backup feature, which would usually be illustrated by Rick Estrada. But I've been told, and I can't vouch for whether it's true or not, but this was like the first American comic credit for Aiden Gonzalez. And there are some panels in this story that are obviously reworked by Joe Kubert, who was editor at the time. And he was known for reworking faces and stuff if he didn't think the page looked right. So this is called The Young Wolves. It's about Hitler's youth movement at the end of the war where he made children into soldiers. And he's telling, there's a close-up of Hitler's face, which definitely looks like Kubert retouched it, saying, 
The enemy will be torn to shreds by you, my young wolves. The enemy is soft. You young wolves will rend them with your fangs, and I will decorate you with glory. You will not fail me. Together we will conquer the world. And the troops are led by a one-armed German sergeant. So this tells you this is desperate times for Germany. And as the, the children are marching out, a grandmother runs up to the, one of the children and says, Emil, come home. Hitler is mad to send children out to die. And the child says to his, his family member, You can be shot for such treason. Go back, grandmother. Do not worry. I will make you proud of me. And the children advance, and the sergeant puts them into place and says, When you see the enemy, get ready to fire. And they say, Look, there they are. Your answer there. And the, the German troops are led by, of course, Boris and Ivan. And Boris says to Ivan, Look, kids playing at soldiers. And Ivan's, or Boris says, We'll spank their bottoms, Ivan. And the German soldiers <laughs> open up. The German soldiers open up on the Russians. And it's just total bloodshed. There's only a few survivors, including the German one-armed sergeant and one of the young children. And he says, pick up your rifle, soldier. Dead, they're all dead, sergeant. That's the stuff that heroes are made of, soldier. Follow me, we still must meet the enemy. And they run into the, the tunnels. They're told to clear the civilians out who are hiding in the tunnels trying to survive. And they say, back, back outside. And the people are telling them, all is lost, we are all doomed. And the child runs into, earlier he called her grandmother. But now he's saying, mother. And she says, Emil, thank God for sparing you, my son. And there's a sound, a sound is coming. There's a rumble in the tunnels. And she says, what's that, a train? And the German sergeant says, the trains are not running anymore. And they turn and see a flood of water coming from them. The Fuhrer is flooding the subways. They will all be drowned like rats. And the poor child who's realized maybe the Hitler youth was not a good idea, not a good career move. He says, my Fuhrer cannot do this. He called us his young wolves. He said he would never fail us. He promised to decorate us at the gate. Mother... Mother, do not leave me. And she says, never, Liebchen, never. And there's <laughs> the, final, the final panel is as they are engulfed by the water, there's a, a washed away poster of Hitler saying, the Third Reich will last 1,000 years. Make war no more. Next issue on sale on or about November 2nd. So that way you knew when to go down to your local grocery store or gas station and start looking for the next issue of Our Army at War. That's right. On a on a scale of five stars, I give this issue five stars because it's just absolutely beautiful Russ Heath artwork wrapped up in a Joe Kubert cover and written by the creator Robert Kaniger. You it's hard to beat a comic like this for me. Yeah. This is just this is just pure entertainment value right here. It sounds and fantastic. It, it's got a couple of cool ads in it. Not only do you have Charles Atlas but you have Joe Weeder, which I found interesting. But it's got the Charles Atlas where the insult that made a man out of Mac where the boy is getting sand kicked in his face. And you can send away for the kit and you can send it to the address in New York or in London. So Charles Atlas was international in 1972. Cool. So 
we have a few we have a few uh questions oh really yeah so uh nick wetmore for nerdy legion says dear dc epp what first attracts your eye regarding the cover like what what attracts your eye like is it the logo is it the perspective if there's dialogue on it now, that really catches my eye because most covers now don't have it. So if I see some dialogue and word balloons, that that's immediately got me stopping to read what's going on. If it's just a pinup pose, I can flip right through it in the box and it may not catch my eye. But if there's dialogue to stop and read, I want to read it and then, then I'll decide, do I want to know what happens in this issue to, to to correspond to this cover i think if it, i think if it has a tank on it yes tank, then i'm attracted to the cover <laughs> yes I, I do love a tank let me change my answer tank. <laughs> tank i also like some perspectives and i like when they have bullets across their chest like the what do they call them when they have the bullets they like wear them like sergeant rock does or the the bandolier the of bandol- ammo. The bandolier, yeah, I like a bandolier. You, you can't go wrong with a bandolier of ammo. Yeah. I mean, just just look at the comic I just read. You use that to beat the the Iron Major down when he when he's about to deliver the death blows. I like. And it's good. It's good to have. Yeah, I like uh, potato mashers on there. I like those on the cover. If you see them flying, I I like yes. bazookas. Like if there's somebody holding a bazooka. Um, the next question he asks is, what sci-fi era do you like the story set in? Like flying cars? I, I guess like that's a hard question to ask, but what level of say, sci-fi do you like? For me, I like something just completely out there. Nothing familiar. Like Star Wars, you don't see a flying car. You've got land speeders and Jawas and droids. None of these things did we have in 1977 when that came out. So it wasn't just like we've improved our technology. It was like this is completely different stuff. Yeah. And I, I like it more like that generally. I mean, there you know, Blade Runner is just you just feel tired and wet when you're watching that movie. You can immerse yourself into the scenery and feel like, yeah, this could be the, the not too distant future, but just as a preference, I would prefer a a completely alien environment like star Wars. Same here. I like, I like the star Wars, uh, space laser guns. Yes. All that kind of stuff. It's space Western type stuff. Yes. I agree. Um, the last question's interesting, and I did not know this term before, this question. What's your favorite war gray tone cover? I did not know what a gray tone was. I always thought gray tones were grays and whites and blacks until I had to I had to actually go do research on what a gray tone cover was. Do you, did you know what it is? Well, I think it, if it's what I'm thinking of, they're also called wash tones, and it was done mostly by DC in the late 50s, early 60s. You you nailed it. And I think my fa- the most iconic would probably be one for uh, GI Combat, but 
I think my favorite is Our Army at War. I want to say it's around issue 124. And Sergeant Rock is leading a Nazi unit. And just that premise alone, as a kid who would be vaguely familiar with Sergeant Rock, that would have been like, what the what? I've got to, here's my 12 cents. I've got to read this. So I think that would be my absolute favorite. But there's, there are, there are just so many beautiful covers that qualify that, I mean, I could look at them and go, well, maybe, maybe that one, maybe that one. But just off the yeah, top of my it, head, not not looking at anything un- completely unprepared, I would say that our army at war was Sergeant Rock leading the Nazi unit. What issue? I think it's 124. And it's kind of a split screen cover with like easy companies like, we can't shoot, that's Rock. Oh, um, wow. I, I kind of see what the gray tone, I, I guess I kind of see what it is. It, it's hard for me to like, call it out but it is kind of distinctive in the line art i don't know how they do it it looks like a charcoal like look to it i don't know how to i think he did it. something with a chemical that like altered the colors because there was a i think the original theory was that it was like more black and white than really colored but it, yeah it somebody says it, it says said that were... it's like colored but then treated with something to alter the colors. yeah it says they were first introduced by the late Jerry Grandiniti, and it, it was like sort of uh, DC-led. It's used the wash technique, which you already talked about, commonly found in magazine and pulp illustrations. Gradov would be a similar style. Um, it reaches his tones with graphite, typically, that does his overpainting, whereas his process was gray tone painting style where it would apply color over the toned inks so i, I it, it's kind of hard to describe but if if you google it and you go to comic book invest there is a uh, a section on uh gray tones and what what they are and they actually show one of my favorites there is a i own this comic it's wonder woman um I can't re- read the I- issue because I can't enlarge it on my phone. Oh, it's 106. And it's her, like, with the light shining on her. And they're they're shooting guns at her. And it looks like a spotlight's on her. And it says, Wanted Wonder Woman. Oh, I most... know the cover you're talking about. That, yeah, is, a, that I, is an I, iconic cover. That, cover. that is just beautiful. That cover blew me away when I first saw it. And I, I had to buy it. I had to. It was just... But there, there are some really cool ones, like uh, Men of War number 35, I think it is. All-American Men of War. Star-Spangled Stories, 45. There's a Frogman one in Showcase number 3 that looks really nice. Oh, that one's nice. That's a Russ Heath issue. Yeah, uh, that's a that's a nice one. G.I. Combat 44. Our Army at War 57. I like this one because of perspective. We were talking about perspective. Now, 57, that's the one where, like, he's loading the machine gun with the enemy advancing and the ammo belts running out, right? Yeah, yeah, there's only, like, four belt, four uh, bullets left. Yeah. Yeah, the silent yeah, that's, gun. I mean, that cover is like, oh, crap. Because <laughs> here comes the enemy and you're out. you're out of ammo. I really like this one. It's uh, Our Fighting Forces number 20. It 
it's a a pilot is in the water like his uh airplane went down and there's a sub that comes up looking for him and all he's got is a pistol <laughs> I, I i really like that one there's some just amazing covers and if you pull up if anybody's listening to this and you pull up the gray tones or wash tones whatever you want to call them you will just be astonished at the covers that that are in this subcategory and they're just gorgeous pieces of work with my my favorite i think is gi combat number 76 it looks like the soldier is like underground and as the tank passes over his head he's attaching a sticky bomb to the treads yes i think that, that's a that is amazing that I is think a that's grand, like one of the first that i saw and i was like why does this cover look so different yeah. Because it wasn't the usual coloring process. It wasn't bright and vibrant and kind of a almost like a, an old painting or, or something. Yeah, and it, it's like a it, men's adventure magazine type yeah, style. Yeah, yeah. That's a good question right there. Who sent that one in? Uh, that was uh, Dennis from, uh, he does a podcast, the, the, God, I can't even think of the name now. The Best of the Rest. Well, thank you, Dennis. That's a great question yeah. right there. Because now, now I'm going to fall asleep tonight dreaming of washtone covers. And going, <laughs> Is that really my favorite? Which? Oh, I forgot about you, this you, one. You, you know <laughs> what I liked about it is I never heard that term. Like, I didn't know it before. I, I've, I've seen these covers and thought they were amazing, but I just compared them to be have a more pulpy look. That's what I right. would call them. But uh, I didn't know it had a term and that this, this Granandetti or whatever his name is, that was sort of his signature cover. Like that's what he would do. I think, I think he he drew the first one, and I want to say Jack Adler was the one who pioneered the process of the wash tone. But I may be getting that name wrong. Somebody, mm-hmm. somebody, send us a tweet and let us know. I'm at Big Five Army. Let me know if I'm remembering that name right. Because I'm an sure. old man and I'm very forgetful. So thank you, Nick, and thank you, Dennis. Those were cool. Very cool. Very yeah. cool. And I'm I'm just I gonna I can't believe we're getting questions. Yeah. We're big. Oh, oh, oh we have a we have another comment and it's it's a it's a true compliment. It's from uh, Drew from Comics and Fun and for Fun and Profit. He said uh, DC should hire the DC Everything Else crew to publish a monthly anthology of war, horror and romance. It might not <laughs> sell well, but neither does Dial H for Hero or Ruby and etc. They could introduce each genre of the month with those guys' faves from the past, and so he he likes what we're doing, which is very well. That's cool. high praise. I really that's appreciate that compliment. Praise. Yeah, I I do this because I enjoy talking comics with my friends. So for anybody else to actually have interest in anything that comes out of my mouth, I I thank yeah. you and I appreciate it. And uh, just one little quickie. I have also read, which is uh, Charlton, which was acquired by DC, Haunted Love number three. Um, just had two stories in it. One was about a girl that keeps dreaming of a Model T Ford crashing and the guy dying. And her parents think she's nuts. Like she would just always wake up sweating and shouting out crazy things. He's going to crash into a tree. 
and her parents took her to an insane asylum. What lovely parents. <laughs> yeah. And inside that's, that's the nice. Yeah, inside the asylum she meets that guy she keeps seeing dying, which is fascinating. The the doctors at the asylum want to lobotomize her and give her electroshock therapy. And later on she and the guy does die in the car accident that she envisioned. And I guess she died from the sedatives and stuff she gave him. So they both met at the at the wreckage and they were like, Holy crap, we're together and we love each other, but we're both dead. <laughs> <laughs> that does that story have any credit to I'm trying to picture an art style for this because that's an interesting tale right there. Um, let me see. I don't Charlton do, was terrible about credits, so yeah, I don't, it may the, not have on the, any. On the first story, I don't see credits. Oh, no, there had to be, because I know the artist was uh, the Joe Statton. Oh, okay. Well, now I definitely want to read this one. There it is. It's uh, art by Joe Statton, and the script is by Nikolai Kudi. Okay. That's quite a tale there. Yeah, I knew it was a big-time artist, because we both like Statton. So. Yes, I do. And, and he's such a nice man. Yeah, he's awesome. The second story was uh, The Fiend in the Fog. And this was really cool because it opens up with a girl getting... It, it's around the 18, 1831 in London. And this woman gets attacked by this... He looks like a sailor, but he looks like a, a hide, like Jekyll and Hyde. He looks like a hide creature. And he's grabbing her like he's going to kill her. And some some other sailor comes and rescues rescues her and she falls in love with the sailor over time her parents here are uh, real religious and uh, one's a missionary and he approves of them getting married he falls in love with her she falls in love with him but he's like hey this fiend is out don't ever go out in the dark well he goes and visits her one night and for leaves his cap there and even though he said don't go out she goes out anyway with his cap, his sailor uh -oh. cap, and she gets attacked by the fiend, and he has to come and they sort of save her. And at one point, he's wearing his hat again, so she thinks he's the fiend, but it turns out he has like a a, a brother that is got some kind of like problem where he like kills people, and he always protects. Yeah, his that's brother. a problem. <laughs> yeah, he always protects his brother. But um, it sort of had a happy ending because they fall in love and the the uh, creepy brother died. <laughs> so there you go. That was uh, Haunted Love. And uh, Rob talked about that, Haunted Love number one. And this is Haunted Love number three. I, I like it because I like that it mixes two genres together. I, I love gothic romance. Like I, I, I just, It's one of my favorite themes because they're creepy they are creepy they are creepy romance and I, I i just dig it but uh i want to uh thank everybody rob couldn't make it um and we also lost joe because he had to work poor joe he's been working i think seven days a week we miss you guys yeah we miss you and uh i'm at mike myers brunch um you can reach Big Army. I can never remember it. 
I am at Big Five Army. There you go, Big Five Army. Little Fat Spencer stationed down here at Fort Spencer. That's right. And then Joe is Iowa's Joe. And Rob is real easy. It's his name, Rob Krieger. So you can all tweet us. Send us more questions. We liked them. They're very good questions. Yes, we'd love some good questions. Yeah. And uh, we'll meet back, I guess, in the new year. Well, I enjoyed it. We can we can do this as often as you like. <laughs> yeah, this was fun. Because talking comics is my favorite thing to do. Yeah, this was a blast. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you very much for including me. All right. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Good night. Good night.